Welcome to Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert, a podcast sponsored by the Healing Lives Center. Discover how to love and lead your family well and biblically. God created sex, marriage, and the family for our stewardship, growth, and benefit. My heart and passion is to teach, train, educate, and disciple Christians that want strong marriages and families. The Healing Life Center has been serving Christians since the year 2000. Its mission is to be a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation, where we offer counseling, coaching, courses, and speaking services to you, your church, or ministry. Check us out at HealingLives.com. In today's episode, we're back at the Biblical Sexual Ethics and Integrity Conference for Parents. Um, This time I get to join the stage with my host, Julia Garrison, who's a counselor in the Vancouver, um, Washington, Portland area, Um, but also another um, incredible speaker who was able to join us at the conference, Laura Gallier. Um, The the links for their information will be in the show notes, Uh, but join me as we focus in on the the main topic of age-appropriate conversations. And I want to talk, I want to talk about, do you need this screen? Oh, yeah. I I want to talk about, again, like the practical or the how when it comes to age-appropriate conversations. Now, both of you have alluded to these topics, or not even alluded, sometimes open them up further um, in your your presentations, but I just like to open that up more. What I kind of see for this is I want to kind of, I want to start from zero, is 15 maybe, is kind of the range. Um, So... Starting from, not range, but starting from zero, let's talk about age zero, like some just ways and then moving our way up to one years old, two years old, three years old. Does that sound like an okay thing? And there might not be all the the information, it's just whatever kind of comes up with your experience. And then what I want to do is um, get into some more, I'm going to kind of filter in some more of these questions from the Q&A time. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah. Okay, so to start us off, um, age-appropriate conversations... Um, as as infants, as little ones. And so um, you've said, you know, these conversations need to happen earlier. It sounds like you, with your experiments, those three experiments that you have, <laughs> uh, could you just open us up and maybe some things that you've, you've coached or taught around, um, around appropriate ways of, of, of modeling um, sex and sexuality in these, in these things with your children or with who you teach? So the kind of the categories I have is birth to five, and then six to 10, and then 11 up, kind of thinking of it that way. Um, and birth to five, in that, those early years, think of the, even actually it's conception to five, but in the early years, they're absorbing the energy in the home. And then at six-ish, they're absorbing the culture of your home. Every one of us, all of us. So how to be intentional about what you do during those seasons. Um, the more that I can plant earlier, the better. But the way that we tend to be wired is, I'll get to that as late as possible. I'll wait to the last minute. Why? Because we have this phrase that I want to protect their innocence. They're not innocent. They need to be prepared because this world is nuts. Or lock them in the basement. So, and the last option is not allowed and legal. So, (laughs) we need to prepare them. And so that birth to five, I talk about micro-conversations. And it tends to be really conversational, where in adolescence it tends to be a little less conversational sometimes. But in those beginning years from birth, like my daughter standing up in the bathtub, grabbing herself, going, when am I going to grow a penis? And you have a one-minute conversation. It's not a now-an-hour lecture. She's like two. So you have that conversation. You let them, you're planting seeds consistently and constantly. 
And so, so at birth, you're focused on basic anatomy. Um, here, one of the reasons why I think basic anatomy is probably the most critical thing to plant early is they need vocabulary, and I know we don't want this to happen, but in case there's abuse, trauma. And a lot of times when we either isn't told or shared or found out or it is later, um, they didn't have the vocabulary to say that something was wrong. Again, my daughter one time, she was hurting, and she grabbed her front parts and goes, my bottom hurts. I'm like, where did, you, where did that word come from? My wife's like, I don't know what to call it. And it's a vulva. But we don't even have that word necessarily in the vocabulary because everyone doesn't say vagina. I'm like, that's inside. No. And understanding your body is critical. And you start at one and two and three. But the research shows that by age seven, their personalities are set in stone. And the weirdest thing is the only thing that changes it past seven is more trauma. Just don't pray for that. Um, be careful with that. So at seven, well, here's the interesting thing. When did dads tend to check in in the parenting process sometimes? What age does dad tend to check in? Late adolescence. Late adolescence. <laughs> Hopefully not that late. Actually, when they can throw a ball. So that's six-ish. And so a lot of times you had this great family and dad didn't check in until six or seven. And there's already a loss there. It is critical, men, that you are changing diapers and that you are involved in the life of that baby and little one and one and two and three as they grow up because it's you actually imprint on them more than you realize probably more importantly and we it's dangerous to say more than our moms mother's day we're like yay moms and father's day we're like you stay <laughs> it's not helpful it's equipping so to me the starting point is the, the vocabulary using the right words not wee wee and Whatever other Flower. stuff. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And I would just say, um, if we can make a distinction that long before we address the mechanics of sex, we can begin planting seeds about the morality. And so here's what I mean to get really practical. I would like to take my little ones. I mean, pre-verbal little one-year-old, and stand them on the bathroom sink before uh, bath time on the sink and where the mirror is and say look at your body they're completely naked look how cute you are look at your body and they look and there's no shame look how you're so blessed you're so blessed to be a boy you're so blessed to be a boy you're so blessed to be a little girl you're so awesome you know and just this infusing because children are sponges right they have no worldview no opinions they know nothing they're little sponges, and so they'll receive what we say is true, which is like crazy if you think about the ability to abuse, right? Because they're going to believe it. But once they have a belief system, I like to say they become like a hammer. So now if you tell me something contradictory, it's like they have a really hard time. So if I tell you you're so stupid when you're two, then when you're five and the kindergarten teacher says, you're smart. No, I'm not. But it can work in reverse. No, I'm smart, you know, and they, and they, so, so taking out the body shame, look at your little body, like I said, we did the, and we had this little song that I will not sing, because it would be embarrassing, but this little song that I just kind of made up, and we would sing, and they would shake their little hips, <laughs> you know, but it was all meant for them to feel very at peace with their bodies, um, and then what I mean about the morality before the mechanics, 
is God's plan is monogamy. Dating is, it's not that we should necessarily have arranged marriages, but this dating concept is, is really man's way, and um, yet it seems normalized. So telling a little four-year-old, we're saving our kisses, those kind of kisses, the long kisses for your spouse when you get married. Yeah. Some people say, oh, you're way too legalistic. I'm like, again, we can go into that, but uh, making out prepares your body to have sex, so... I don't, I don't think making out is a good idea. I, I, I believe biblically that someone is a brother or sister in Christ and that the physical should not begin until the vows yep. have been made. Or just, and it's just common sense too, okay, like why escalate temptation? But anyway, when they, are, they grow up hearing that um, God gave you those long kisses for one person and those kind of hugs, and even making the distinction, this is how families hug, but this is how mommy kisses daddy and... Um, I don't want to bring any condemnation if you're a single parent and you can't model that that way. What you can do is not speak bitterly about your ex. I have to say that. Um, but so what happens is when they are raised in this culture and even praying, well, let's pray for your future spouse someday. We always want to say, you don't have to get married. But if you choose, we should pray now for someone special. because you, Why? Because you're ridiculously special. So let's start praying for that special person. Uh, it's a huge deal to plant seeds in little kids that you could you could be a parent someday. God's a generational God. We don't need to have a 12-year-old that goes, you know, I never thought about being a parent. As a matter of fact, I tell my son all the time, the reason I'm disciplining you this way is because this matters when you're a husband and father. It matters hugely. Like, I'm always thinking that way. So even praying over their future kids is so powerful. Why? So that when it's time to actually talk about the mechanics, it's just like one more part. Like, oh yeah, I knew I was waiting. I knew there's someone special. I knew my kids matter. I knew marriage is sacred. Now I just understand intercourse. Do you see that? So we can do so much groundwork. And then so when they're watching a little whatever that show is, you can say, God, you know, she's kissing that boy. That's not her husband. And this is an important piece too. I will shut up at some point. But also saying, isn't it sad they don't know what you get to know? They need Jesus. And pray. It's a movie start. Let's pray for them right now. Lord, reveal your plan for those kisses and for how special they are. Like, do you see what I'm saying? You can do so much with your grandkids and when they're little bitty. And it does stick, you guys, because they're a little sponge. That is their reality. They're not going to argue with you. They're going to receive it. One question I have, because I'm a how go-getter. So a little one, a little, uh, in this case, a girl stands up, one, two years old, and says, when am I gonna, when am I gonna grow a penis? What's the verbiage? To respond? Yeah. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it. You're not, and then you just keep taking a bath, and that's it? Well, because where, where did they come from? They saw their brothers. Right. And so that's the only you know, connection to well, that's that's a boy. You're a girl. Oh, that's okay. It. That's there's and a lot of times even later on in mechanics, you start sharing some of the details. And oftentimes we go too far where we try to explain everything, and it's like they were just asking a little question. Yeah. And so, but I actually recommend go too far. And what happens with it? It isn't too far. It's it doesn't have a place to hook in their brain. So it's just kind of sitting there. And then later on, as they're growing. All of a sudden, other things happen that kind of goes, oh, connect, connect, connect. Oh, okay, I get this now. This should not be a traumatic thing. Just like I can't, I can't be, it breaks apart how many women face um, the uh, menstrual time, that 
their period. Um, I didn't think they're dying. Yep, I've heard it. No. So what do you do when my daughter was five, six, seven? Mom's in the other room. What's she doing? Well, she's um, on that time of the month, and she's this. My son's standing there too, and we're talking about we're normalizing, mm -hmm. so that as she's now twelve and still hasn't, and her friends have, we're normalizing. We're talking through this is a normal thing versus like, oh, it's going to be the worst thing in your life, and you're going to hate it for the next. 40 years. Right. Downplaying it. <laughs> How we talk matters. Anything else on ages 0 to 5? So I'm hearing um, uh, speaking, being delighting um, healthfully and look at your body. Oh, beautiful. And then the mechanics talking about these are the actual words for your body parts. Um, if you use words like flower and, and wee wee and, and different things like that, there's, there's no shame on it. But I would urge you as a counselor, please name Please name the body parts, what they are. Now, there's a few different words that you can use. Um, um, so, boobs, breasts, I'd add some more here, but you said vulva, this is your penis, this is this is your butt, this is your um, bottom would still be okay, right, for butt, right? Yeah, so uh, these are just some examples, but it's important because some of the folks that I work with, the way that they were abused was by using these other words. Right, and, and we're, I'm, again, I'm not trying to scare you, but this is how the enemy twists things, right? So, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that as well. Anything else on ages zero to uh, five? The other thing, I, do you have that slide, Jeremy? Um, birth. birth to five. Oh yeah, birth to five. Zero is a really weird way to say that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I say is, um, right here, yeah, love, love by God and, and their family. This is the time you're planting the seeds of that body of Christ, and that you're, you're a part of something bigger, and that the whole model of marriage and family. You think of a theology of marriage for a 20-year-old, it started when they were two and three and four, either intentionally or unintentionally. They're watching, and they're watching, and they're watching. They're absorbing how you fight, how you get along. I remember the first time my wife and I actually had an argument in front of them, because we don't fight. We are quiet, and we get quieter, which is <laughs> not always a good thing. It means we're not always honest. We've learned that. But we had an IRS bill. And I'm like, I ain't paying it. And she's like, you better. I was like, no, because you can give money one way. It doesn't come back. And I, and they're wrong. I'm right. And my son jumped between this one like, stop fighting. And we just laughed because he had never seen this fight. So we did it again the next day just for fun. But, um, <laughs> and we realized, though, if he needs to see us fight. What did I not see my parents do? I never saw him fight. And I realized I thought all anger is sin. I, I, I pulled a theology out of it that was wrong, which actually made it hard when I first met Kelly in starting marriage because I could not dis couldn't disagree or we were off. We were in sin, and I had a lot of growing to do. But it starts in the the single digits his earlier years. And I would say too, and that was very well said, um, if you do find there's a single parent situation, um, letting the little child know, you didn't do anything wrong, that daddy's not here, you know, and just being able to articulate, sometimes we make poor decisions, and you know, just, just telling those things like you talked about so they don't blame. I remember this really sweet little girl in our family, <coughs> She um, didn't have a father, and one day, I mean, she's in her car seat in these little pigtails, and the way my in-laws tell it, she said, I deserve to have a daddy. 
I mean, she's this little girl. You know, yes, you do. You don't deserve, you know, so just really helping them not blame for any divorce or anything that's happened and, and taking responsibility and while saying, but this is what God wants. I know this. there's a broken situation here, but, you know, God wants you to, to not separate from your spouse someday and just, it's okay if we haven't been able to lead by example the way we would want to. Don't just shut down, but do let them know it's not their fault. That's good. Transitioning, uh, going off what you said, six to 10. So this next age range, six to 10 years old. Um, highlights things to different ways of having, like building this, this these conversations around morality, mechanics. What's the add-on in six to 10? Oh, six to ten to me is the most important stage, and it's the one that we miss. Um, last, the two years ago, I think three years ago, California um, basically declared that you have to teach all fifteen genders in kindergartens. Didn't know there were fifteen. Facebook is in California, and there's ninety plus there, so they need to talk. But um, fifteen genders, and parents are freaking out. And I was like, well, either don't send them there. Which you have to have dual incomes to survive down there, so you have most are going to go. Or what if you actually talked about it at home? And the response from parents, oh, no, no, they're not old enough. <laughs> Did you hear yourself? <laughs> You're, they're old enough for them, but not for you. Be the first one on all these issues. Talk about masturbation first. Talk about pornography first. Be that person and do it redemptively. And so for the <clears throat> six to ten, I always kind of say there's. Uh, no such thing as a talk. We need to get that out of our, out of, out of our vocabulary. That's why I, my book's going beyond the talk. It's, it's not the talk. Um, usually at the talk, your kids are teaching you because they're 13, 14, and they're way outside of where you think they are. Um, but the list here of what to cover, there's your list. You get more descriptive in your anatomy. The masturbation word, sexual identity, dignity and modesty, pornography, Periods, wet dreams prep, gender, sexual reproduction, <coughs> and that personality is seven by each seven. This is the time to plan a theology of marriage and understanding of, and I would say this is the time. And again, those parents are going to go, oh, they're not a teen yet. Well, deal with that. How do you set up how things are going to go at 14, 15, 16 for dating during this time? Right. Not later. Not la later, you're dealing with their will. Mm. So at age nine, I took both my boys to Gospel Purity, but we actually talked through that. That was an important piece of, here's kind of our ethos as a family and the expectations. Does it go that way? No. But it starts the conversation where I'm the driver versus what I hear with a lot of kids is they'll go to school, they hear something, then they come home and parents go, no, 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 the Bible says this, and the kid goes, oh, you're so old school. Which makes me believe how many kids really kind of believe whatever they hear first. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they're a sponge, right? So, so be first. Go into this stuff first. Exactly. And, and guys, use resources. I mean, I have a resource called Beginning the Path to Purity. It's a digital download that you just print out. But it's a series of conversations for older elementary. Exactly what we're talking about. So you don't have to sit there and try to think of... You know, how do I initiate, he did passport to purity, you know, do videos, so do things where what you're doing is facilitating, I mean, there's literal discussion question 
you know, for you there. That makes it a thousand times easier. So it's more about intentionality, right? And there's a million, I mean, his resources look amazing out there. There's, there's so many choices. So buy them, use them. Don't just stick them on the shelf. And it, it can be at dinner time, you know, it just um, roll with it, but take advantage of resources that take the guesswork out of it. You don't have to be like an expert, you know, you just want to initiate the conversations. Well, then the other piece to this, and this next list, here's more of it. We've got mm -hmm. to define boyfriend and girlfriend and understand what the expectations are of that. Right. Again, masturbation. This is the time to talk about trauma. <laughs> Hopefully your child in these single digits haven't, haven't experienced severe sexual abuse or trauma. But it's helping prepare, like, in case of. We know that a lot of us really do a good job of a stranger danger. That accounts for 9% of abuse. 91% of abuse is done by someone that you let in the front door that you would trust probably with your life. Mm -hmm. So we need to prepare for the what if someone walks in on you in the bathroom? What if, and these what if scenarios seem cheesy, but what actually it does is it it's like that firefighter who prepares so that under the pressure they perform without really thinking. So when there's something that happens and they're caught off guard, it's fight, flight, freeze. I don't want them to, to actually do any of those in the end. I want them to actually face the, the problems and the stuff, but we want fight or flight, not freeze at the beginning. The survival piece. Most freeze because they didn't have a, a script. We need to provide that script by going going through it. Oh, so something what I did with my kids when they were younger, after every babysitter, which were all my college students, when I got home, I would, I would actually ask them, my kids, did... Did they change your diaper? Did they do this? Did they touch you? Did they... I would ask questions, very explicit questions. Not looking for them to be honest, but looking for a change in the way they answered. Why because shame covers? So even they, even at a young age, they know to be ashamed and they know to cover. So I wasn't looking for honesty, I was looking for a change. And well, just, I did that. And I would say this in my classes, which those students were in, so they knew very, like they knew this is the world you're coming into by babysitting my kids. Um, now I have cameras all over the house, but <laughs> that um, yes, that helps too. But. Yeah, and that all important statement that if anyone ever asks you not to tell me something, it means you need to tell me. That's, that's uh, only someone mean and wicked in their heart would say, don't tell your mom unless it's a surprise for me a gift or a party um, any other secret from mom and dad you come straight to us right. you don't have to tell them you're going to tell us but you you tell us so because you know a lot of predators threaten and um, and manipulate like if you tell this bad thing's going to happen no it's not because i'm going to protect you from that and you're going to get to come tell me anything and you will not be in trouble so once they know that. You mentioned yesterday that you, your kids came to you and you waited for them to come to you. I, I really believe that most of our kids are not. And so when they do, it's a gift, oh my gosh, for them to actually come to us. I've got in my three kids, one, one won't at all. You know, that you will. It's more of us being able to know and know even more now than ever, we must go there. We must be the initiators of some of these things. Well, yeah, and, and just to clarify, when you are having, in, in my home, we're having conversations, so that's why right. he felt comfortable saying, now, where do babies come from? 
So we're initiating conversations. Sometimes they just ask that. They're younger than we thought they were going to ask that question is kind of what happened. Um, but, but because we are talking about things around nudity and all this stuff, then, then when they are, and this is my big thing, is if they're asking me, um, I remember my oldest, she was in third grade, and she was, we were doing homework, and she looked up at me and goes, does dad like to see your boobs? <laughs> we're doing math. And it's okay to say, I always affirm the question, like, that's a perfectly fair question to ask, even they were thinking, am I right, you know? But I, you, you can say, give me just a minute, because I want to talk to you about this, and, and you want to answer, and sometimes, it's okay to say, can I collect my thoughts? Let me collect my thoughts, because it's such an important question. Because you get blindsided, and it's okay to say, let me think about that. But here's the thing. I never want to shut it down, like say, oh, you don't, we don't need to talk about that. Because then she's going to ask someone at school, or she's going to ask someone else. So I want to answer that question. So I always validate, even when the question throws you. And I was just telling Shauna and my son, the culture is so perverse that my son will ask questions that are just, like, I think I mentioned this, like about incest and things that are so, like, where are you hearing this? Um, but I'm so glad he's asking me. So I, I stay calm and I validate that he asked me and I'll say, can I, I, it's not that I'm asking his permission, but I'm just saying like, can I have a minute to collect my thoughts because your question is so important, I want to answer it accurately. And I don't want to leave it unanswered so that he goes, you know, to the boys' locker room and asks the question. Mm-hmm. And creating that culture in the home. Right, creating that culture in the home. What I'm saying is sometimes they ask about the mechanics of sex younger than you ex- expected. They just bust out one day. But they wouldn't likely do that if we weren't already having these very comfortable conversations about romance and kisses and our body and you can tell me anything and nothing you do will ever make me not love you. And So you've already laid this safe foundation. Yeah. I want to talk about um, so arousal um, and self-touch with littles. Um, so I've heard a few different things, and I'm going to jump back to the earlier age group. I've heard things about, um, you know, babies exploring themselves or finding different parts of their body and then parents ripping their hand away, right? Because it's just like, I don't know how to, and so can you speak into like, like how you navigate with, with, uh, with littles in that way when they're exploring their bodies, when certain things feel good, um, um, the, I feel like they call it pumping sometimes with, with females, um, just different things like that when, and how to navigate. That's a, a cautious one because while we want to introduce these things, I don't want to plant a seed. Like, let me tell you, a, touching yourself and da-da-da so that they, they go, oh, I never would have thought of that, but now that you said that. Like, you're, you're trying to be careful. So a lot of it is even being prayerful, like, Lord, let me see what I'm supposed to see or catch them doing. And then it's that whole non-shaming and asking questions. Like, what are you doing, sweetie, if you're seeing them do that? Or if you see them overtly masturbating, which, you know, you can walk in on that and say, Let's give each other a few minutes, but I want to talk about this and taking the shame out and talking about the fact that uh, you're not wrong that that feels good. That's the way God made your body, but he meant for you to experience that with, a, with another person, your spouse. And honestly, I have seen this effect over and over. Masturbation produces extreme loneliness because it isn't meant to be experienced by yourself. So. It is, it's not forbidding it or saying you can't and saying it's not, it's not wrong that you figured out how your body works and that God did this amazing thing and gave you this, but I just want to tell you what it's used for. And, and to your point, like um, maybe we're lonely or maybe we want some excitement or 
but do you, you can even hear my tone like there's no shame on it but I, I have not I'll be honest I have I did not sit my little kids down and say I'm gonna tell you what masturbation is so you won't do it you know what I'm saying but like to catch them I'm like you know they're on the edge of the bed kind of doing a humping thing you know and then just very non-shamingly said, what are you doing, sweetie? And let them think about, what am I doing? You know, well, it feels good. Well, it's not wrong that it feels good, but let me, you know, see what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe you have yeah. a different philosophy, but that on that one topic, yeah. that's how I've approached it. When you asked about the earlier, um, the early age, that's not masturbation. When they're little and they're messing around with themselves, they're discovering themselves. Right. It needs to be actually not actually encouraged but it needs to be normal right like you're going to be experimenting mm -hmm. with yourself um but then conversations of what is this what could this turn into yeah, so you're right the biggest piece of masturbation is what's going on in your head mm -hmm. the fantasy and so being able to separate the two and so i have even in my book i have a description of kind of what i do with in conversations with men and women uh, adults teenagers but also even with kids with kids, it's much more of a um, trying to move it out of their unconscious into the conscious where they can steward it. For for some college age students, I remember in, in conversations where I'll be like, "So you're coming to me saying you hate yourself for doing this, you can't stop. So why don't you just stop?" Well, so then they go through this whole thing, and I go, "What if I told you just do it anyway and stop being so mean to yourself?" And it's so funny because they go, "Well, but it's wrong," and I'm like. So I kind of talk in circles around them at first. Why? Because it doesn't matter what I believe. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm trying to get them to figure out what they believe. Right. And what they end up landing on almost every time is it feels good, but there's something missing. Really? No kidding. Wow. Um, but then it also goes a step further. When I fantasize about that person, does it draw them closer to you or push them further away? That loneliness. Wow. And when you start thinking through what your goal is, you're thinking outside of the moment, it's like, I want them. But I want it to be actual us, not in my head. So when I do that, I'm further, oh, I don't want that. And that was a conscious choice to, when I have the temptation to go there, to actually, I'd rather actually be in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And you want to make that a very conscious effort. Because it's one you might actually wrestle with the rest of your life. Because mm -hmm. it's something that, well, it feels good, it's by myself, no, no harm, no foul. Well, what happens in my head, yes, harm, there's harm potentially. So. You're preparing them for that. Um, I think we need to talk more about masturbation in a way that's non-shaming, but it kind of separates the two and it helps them think through uh, versus what we tend to hear, which is just a slap on the hand and say, that's bad. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's something I wanted, this isn't a fully baked question yet, so bear with me, but there's this parallel that I've noticed and then in some of my research, it's been supported that rigid homes, uh, children come out of that with more sexualized behavior, like the way that they've coped or and, and, and their unwanted sexual behavior skyrockets, the more rigid the home is. So that's more of a statement, but if you have any thoughts on that. Well, yeah, because that shame-based legalism creates preoccupation. It just says, like, oh, it's the forbidden fruit, you know, it's the all-elusive thing that's, we can't even talk about it, and, and, and shame can create preoccupation, so it just disarms it. You know, even his body language. So why do you do it? So why don't you keep doing it? You know, you're just like, you're, you're making it not this scary, oh, you know, it's just like, um, 
yeah, and then that, that context of love is always going to override shame. So religion at its worst puts that rigidity and the fear. And, and so as parents, we have to ask, what am I afraid? Maybe I'm afraid. Maybe the enemy tells me your son is going to be a sex addict like your dad was. Or, you know, what is fueling my fear? Where do I need to cast those things down so that I can talk about this and what even my own shame? So. Well, secular research is actually has a category over the last about decade or a little less of growing up in an overly religious home is a source of trauma. Heartbreaking. Been there. I, my wife and I came to great homes, yet there's, because of the lack of addressing this topic, it's like we have this history of sexual abuse. There's not. There's not tangible things. But it is this lack of this redemptive conversation that allows for development, natural development. Where Freud went off the rails when he makes it all about that, we've gone the opposite way in some ways where we won't go there and just talk about what's actually normal. Right, and then what happens is we can't imagine a Jesus that wants to meet us in that right. sexual brokenness. And I'm going to go here because it's this kind of conference and I'm feeling the, the peace to do that. But at a conference similar to this, a man was talking about how he suffered from um, habitual masturbation as a grown man and pornography and he was sitting there in his shame naked having done that having masturbated and he had such a sense of Jesus literally hugging him and I'm going to be graphic and he said semen and all he just hugged me now that's really graphic but that's the God we serve that's so not religion religion's like ew we don't even say those words. That's not God. I mean, he made our bodies. And so to know God that way, that's why I keep saying, yes, we're talking about sexuality, but what we're really talking about is a God who loves everything, you know, every part of our being, and that there's nothing off topic with him. It's just such a beautiful picture, right? See? You can say things like that. It was okay, right? Look, you're fine. And that's too, okay, counselor mode on you. When things, this is a perfect example. Just notice, notice yourself. Some of you, when, when that story was shared, there might have been something that came up in, inside of you, a feeling, a memory, something. These are the things where you just notice. You don't need to judge it, good, bad, right, wrong, whatever. Breathe, get your parasympathetic on board. Okay, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't need to be shoved shove that out, right? And doesn't need to be pushed down. Okay, let, let me hear that. That's an interesting way to picture Jesus. I can't believe that woman just said that. <laughs> That's okay. That's interesting. So when you're beginning to do it with yourself, those thoughts that come up within yourself, those, uh, those cringes, those these, when you practice it with yourself, tender curiosity is the word I used. Use curious earlier. I like tender curiosity. If you can show yourself that tender curiosity, oh my goodness, how much more prepared are you going to be when any other human being talks to you about these things, right? I have to say this really quick to your point, because male masturbation used to not, it was weird. It didn't have the same effect talking about females, but it, I, it made me feel so uncomfortable. But, you know, you just sort of press that down. And long story short, when I leaned into that and said, what is it that literally terrifies me? about the idea, that's when God took me back to being four years old and seeing pornography, and that it was scary to me. It was just scary, it was frightening. And so working through male masturbation, 
is sinful, but it doesn't need to be scary. And just letting him help me. I mean, it was just so healing by, by going to God and, and talking through with people and saying, I don't have to just keep running from this fear. I can say, meet me here in this place. God, why is this scaring me? And I had a valid reason why I was scared. That's scary when you're four years old and you see something like that. And so... What's interesting with pornography, yeah. how many men too, boys, how many, the first time they see it, they're grossed out. It doesn't tend to be curiosity at first, which I think is interesting. But then it quickly turns to curiosity. But almost always in darkness. When it stays, when it stays hidden uh, over here versus when I... Uh, have a place to go and say, hey, I just saw something. Well, I had a, had a mom call me one time, and she had uh, come upstairs, her daughter had slammed the laptop down and ran. So she opened the laptop up, and it was pornography. And she called her in there and ripped her from one side to the other, because mm. her husband, by the way, had been in a rehab for pornography addiction mm. and other stuff, so there's history there. But I was like, no, no, no. Open the laptop. This is maybe too controversial. Open the laptop and look at what she's been looking at. Well, I can't. It's pornography. I don't care. You need to know where they've been and then have conversations. And what she did, she finally got the guts to talk to her. And her daughter was like, I just typed in pregnancy. And two clicks later, I was there. It was not this big thing that she had made it out to be. It was a little girl that just someone had said something at school and she had typed it. And then it turned into something bigger than it should be. It should have been have these redemptive conversations, just like we opened the big screen in our living room one day on YouTube, and there's sexy girls or something like that, and my daughter's standing there, and I'm like, "Boys, <laughs> get up here!" Who? And we talked about it, and at least learn to cover your chest. Anyway. <laughs> um, Blaze had just typed in something and and discovered this, and it ran. He hadn't gone any further shame sets in really quick but when it stays in the darkness when it stays in my head in private it festers and it grows and it becomes this absolute obsession which is why we're having ed problems erectile dysfunction problems in 20 year olds Mm -hmm. and i have women couples who will get married and the wife will call me seven days after the wedding in tears going he can't even have an erection because of all the porn use that's desensitized him and it's like we have yeah. amazing conversations. And then I get the email later, we're pregnant. It's so cool. But, um, and God's the God of redemption with all of this. None of it's, we're done, we're broken, we're, we're unforgivable, if you will. So being able to guard our hearts, some of it also pricks us because of our own stuff. Yeah, right. We're over here doing something. You might have a porn addiction. You might have had one, but now you're just doing everything you can to fight even the temptation. So dealing with that, as we've said, kind of the whole weekend is it's pricking stuff in us. It's kind of, we're having to work this out. But wouldn't it be cool to work that out not alone? Yeah. Like with your spouse, if that's potentially a, a good place. Um, someone in your community, some a mentor, yes, a counselor eventually or potentially. But don't try to do this alone. No, it's not meant to be alone. And, and to your point quickly, is um, it's powerful for a father to tell his son, of course I know what that feels like to be tempted. Like some dads act like they can't admit that or mom can't say, yeah, I know how tempting that is when you're in love with the boy and you want to give them your body. And, you know, causing them to see you is also having those temptations is really powerful. Mm-hmm. That's good. 
what's the next age group? I'm asking you. 10 to 15? 11 to 17. Oh, <laughs> we did 10. 11 to 17. Okay. Um, so yeah, 11 to 17. Um, this is would you can yeah adolescents. Purity, dating, gender, sexuality. More in depth talks about yeah, yeah the, the the weightier things of sexuality. And I this may sound harsh, but I would say at this point it's too late. It's not ever too late. But we need to really think about this. If you think if you have younger kids, you want to be having have addressed these things prior to this age. What I hear from most parents is I will address it when they get to this age or, or later. Oh, please be earlier than you think is, is necessary and use different things. Um, we were watching The Voice the other day, or actually this is a couple years ago, we were watching The Voice, Blaze and I, and these two guy and girl get on stage, but it's actually twins, and one's transitioned to male or female. And so Blaze is like, hold on, what? Pause, conversation. Two guys get up to sing and they share about all the wedding and all their romance of these two guys and their beautiful voices and incredible love story and my son's like what pause and we talk we i love we love movies we love tv shows we use them to have serious conversations they're not um absent from our home which is some ways that some people do it they're a part of our home and conversations and we wrestle as parents we don't know what's always the right boundary with this um, what, should we be watching that with them? Should we not? Um, can you watch a rated R movie? And then during two years ago, I took my boys to watch that new Jim Caviezel movie. I forgot the name now. It was about going, I think it was into Persia. Really Trafficking? Was it about? Okay, I think so. It was really a powerful movie, but it was rated R. And it was like, and then they're asking, so you took us to a movie that's rated R, it had language, but then we can't do it over here. It's confusing. But being able to actually go, I'm walking through this, and I'm not always right. I might have made, made a mistake, and I shouldn't have watched that with you. We shouldn't have. But you're using these things, especially in this season. I am actually, this is probably going to be too much for some of you. Some of you seen the TV show, um, 13 Reasons Why? If you haven't heard of it, parents, I would actually say you need to watch it. And you're going to hate yourself for watching it. And some of you need to have a boundary and not watch it. My wife will not watch it. And it's 13 reasons why this girl has committed suicide, and she leaves 13 cassette tapes to the 13 people that know parts of the story. Very well done. Full of language. The 12th episode has a very graphic rape scene. It's not okay. Two weeks after that show came out, I pulled my college students, and over half the class had watched, binge-watched the whole thing the weekend before. Suicide rates have gone up from that show, and so they put all these warnings on the show. Why? Because they're watching in their bedroom by themselves and they're not having conversations. Mm. So I have watched the first episode, first season with my oldest son. One episode at a time, talking through it, pausing and talking, pausing and talking. And it's not fun. It's difficult. He's also a homeschool kid. So he's not experienced some of the stuff in the show and he doesn't know what a locker is. And he's, anyway, so... Um, <laughs> It's been interesting, and then he's actually drawn connections to friends in the youth group who actually the same drama's there too. Youth group's not a bunch of perfect little kids. It's <coughs> so being able to see how can he be that redemptive voice and how can he see things. Mm -hmm. um, so I, that's my recommendation, but that's hard for some to swallow. Is I'm 
going to be watching the second season and kind of walking through that. Will I do that with my next kid? I don't know. He's a lot more sensitive. Like, this isn't just to do this. It's, we're navigating prayerfully and carefully. Something that's occurring to me right now, so we got folks in here who may, may not have children, maybe your children are grown, um, and just something that's occurring to me is if your kids are grown and you're hearing, you're hearing all this right here, and you're like, there's things coming up of like, I wish I would have known, or man, you know, that, that's coming up for you. I just want to let you know, I still believe it is very powerful to go to your adult child and say, hey, you know, if, if I could have done it a different way, this is how it would have looked, period. Not excuses about what your generation was like, not excuses about how your parents raised you, not, not looking and seeking for affirmation about other ways that you were a good parent, but just period. Like, I'm learning some stuff, and I, might, I would have done it differently. And I don't know if it affected you or not, but I just want to let you know. That is, that is still redemptive, and it is still very, very important. So I just want to give you some hope in that way, um, if that's helpful. So, yeah, John, yeah. you? No, just very much agree with that. Mm -hmm. That's all. Mm -hmm. Any one, more? On one more on this one. So here's mm -hmm. some more things. So refraining from sexual morality, talking about that. Who are your idols? Who influences you? And oh my gosh, do we live in a world of influencers? Mm -hmm. It's so weird. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll never Click quite... Click the likes. Yeah, I never quite understand that. But... Um, <laughs> Dating, courtship, further defined boundaries, and then social media. Um, the, a really, really good book is called Coddling of the American Mind, Secular Research. Um, and these researchers actually say they would not trust a smartphone with their teenager unless they would trust a pistol in their hands first. And then they're asked, which one's more da more dangerous, smartphone? And like, think about that. Just for, this is a secular world saying, hey, I think we have a problem here. And... I think the next few years we're going to see more and more of that. I spoke at a school probably five years ago, four years ago, and I couldn't put a boundary there necessarily. And I could see how we've changed even culturally to where like, I think there needs to be a boundary there when it comes to not necessarily smartphones, but it's the social media pieces right. tends to be the biggest part. Um, my college students, I used to create a Facebook group for every freshman seminar as they came in. I don't do that anymore. Half of them aren't on Facebook anymore, mainly because parents are. But um, they've changed, and they've moved to other platforms, which is not necessarily a good thing. But um, how to stay on top of this, you don't have to stay on top of it necessarily. You can use people like us and others mm -hmm. that are doing that to help you um, know to have, how to have these conversations. Okay. But it's up to us to go there. <laughs> Um, I'm going to kind of popcorn this a little bit because there's some questions on here um, that I want to that I want to address. Um, so I've heard a lot about the long game, but what advice do you give to parents of older teens, so over 16, that are questioning their gender identity and you haven't addressed it previously? Older teens, gender identity. Yep, and, they, and you haven't addressed it previously. Haven't addressed. Okay. I was interpreting that like we haven't addressed it at the seminar, but then we haven't oh, addressed gender identity. <laughs> First of all, you know, we can own the fact that I wish we would have talked about this from the time you were little, but I didn't know, and I didn't know what to say, and I didn't know it was going to be so important. Um, but like we were talking about asking a lot of questions and affirming who they are, affirming your love no matter what, and it's always about 
trying to find what that heart need is. And you can't force that journey on them, but saying, I'm here to help you find what your heart need is and talk through whether this is the best way to get that need met. It's just very disarming, right? I love you no matter what. We all have heart needs. And um, I use Star Wars to explain this. Um, here I go real quick. I don't take too long, this, but this is important. So if you're familiar with Anakin from Star Wars, he has this terrible fear of, well, his mom dies, it's very traumatic. And so he has this terrible fear and he has nightmares that his wife Padme is gonna die in childbirth, okay? Y'all seen this. So it starts with a fear and the enemy, which is Palpatine, he's like a type of the devil, he knows about this fear and he lets Anakin know, I can help you with that fear because I have power over death. The reason this is so important is because remember the enemy wants to meet us and our kids in our place of pain and offer a counterfeit solution. He knows what our kids' pain is. So ironically, when Anakin gives in, he goes to the dark side and when he goes to the dark side, he ends up being rough with Padme plus her heart breaks. So guess what? She ends up dying in childbirth because he went to the dark side. So the devil will actually take us to our fear and destruction. So I know that's a weird way to explain it. Maybe it'll help somebody in here with your kids. But my point is the devil wants to meet us in our pain and take us further into our pain. God wants to meet us in our pain and have us stare at it, confront the fear and truth and saying that I'm here to help you to the degree that you'll allow me to look at the pain for what it really is, to even identify what it is and what the fear is. And on the other side of overcoming that, that is your real identity. That is who you really are. And that is, doesn't that present a choice and a crossroads? And so just saying that's always gonna be my role is the confronting fear, identifying it, and handling it God's way. So what I would say is, um, this kind of yellow in there, what does the Bible say? Not mom and dad. We need to come back to that. So we plant seeds. Mm -hmm. They're not really micro-conversations in adolescence. It might be a little mini-lecture. What we actually, what I hear from parents a lot is, well, I talk to them and they don't talk back. Okay, you still planted the seed. Mm -hmm. Don't forget that. Yeah. So don't be silent. Keep planting seeds, keep planting seeds, keep planting seeds, and you may not be the one that gets to water them. I get to, in college, as a professor at a Christian mm -hmm. university, one of my joys mm -hmm. is that young woman who sits down and goes, I've never told anyone this, but... Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. Where she's breaking the family code and the family secret is being let out. And there's, and I get, and I actually then, in that moment, always picture someone's going to be in, in a chair like I am right now, sitting there talking to my three kids. And I just pray for them right now. Because I get to do this for these individuals, and it's been beautiful over these you know, 20 years. So go back to Scripture. Plant the seeds. And then who does the work? The Holy Spirit. Christ, not us. We have to go there. Instead, so many just stay in fear. We need to be able to go back to, okay, even if I failed here, I missed this, I'm sorry. Back to Scripture. Back to the God's Word. Back to the design. And then it's almost kind of like we can let her kind of put our hands out and just kind of go, okay, but you have to decide what you're going to do with that. Because mm -hmm, right. the knowledge means now you're a steward of that knowledge. So sure. putting the ball in there for it. Something to this as well is um, I think 
sometimes we perceive that we're gearing up for an argument. We need to be like these deep, what's it called with the A when you know the Bible really well? Um, Apologetics? Yeah, apologists. Or like, just this like, I do believe as, as citizens of the kingdom, we need to know the word, right? We need to, we need to understand these kind of things that we're talking about. But I just want to, I would ask you to check yourself. Like, are you going in with like, okay, if they come back with this, then I'm going to slam this verse down, and then I'm going to get this one, and then I'm going to bring this expert in. And I would say, I, I would take the position as a listener first. I really would. I, I would be like, just asking questions, and good questions you don't know the answer to yet. Okay? When it's like, so have you done that thing? When both of you know that you know, and it just feels like you're just trying to catch them in something, right? But it's like, a, hey, like this is kind of weird for me to ask. I know we haven't talked about gender in the past, or I know, what, however you want to present it to whoever you're talking to, it's like, I honestly just want to know what you think. I, I want to know where you are. Like, I know we haven't talked about this in different ways before. I might not be the best listener ever. I might, um, but I'm really, my heart is to hear you. And will will you try me out in that way, right? And and then it's like okay, then what is about you know and, and adding these things in there. But if you're not coming with the heart of listening, especially at 16 and older, right? Um, that, that would be something I would highlight. There's one question I want to get to, and then we're going to take a break. Um, is it wrong? So this is a two part. Is it wrong bad to dress in ways that others perceive as LGBTQ style when it's just my style? Does it hurt my witness? How can Christian be true to one's own style and not feel like a bad person for not dressing cookie cutter conservative style? But others in Christian circles judge me. I love these questions. And so I wanted to finish on this. My, right away, sorry, my protective heart gets big here where I just, it, it, that hurts my heart to know that dressing in different ways you feel, this person feels outcast or othered, right? Um, I, I wouldn't want that for anyone, right? We don't do that for people who come from different cultures. I hope we don't do that, right? Um, and so right away, that's just a highlight, but I'll, I'll. Yeah. I had a student come in my office one day, this is, almost 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And she was 17, 18, you know, so new in college, and she was like, I'm in this lesbian relationship, or been in this lesbian relationship, I need help. And you can just feel the shame, because she has a certain perception of what I'm gonna say. I'm a Christian counselor. And I'm like, ooh, tell me more. Curiosity. And she's like, stuck already. She expected judgment. And I leaned in further. I said, so can you tell me what it was like to be with her? What do you mean? You're meant to actually be aroused by touch. What was it like to embrace and to be close? And she's like frozen at this point because I'm asking the wrong questions. But she's like, it was incredible. I said, I know. It's how you're made. And it's beautiful. So I don't understand the problem. Well, the problem is, and she starts telling me what I'm supposed to say. And I talked her through a road where she made a very different decision two hours later. When she saw that she knew very clearly what she wanted, and that what she believed was what she's kind of been told to believe. And she was a different person when she walks out of my office. I didn't do anything except point. And the, the wrestling has to happen internally. 
who we are matters and how we present ourselves matters, but I think that's so secondary. That's a conversation from a year from now, maybe. We might have to go, can we talk about, are you trying to, or does it matter? But oftentimes what we do is we start with that. With the presentation. With the presentation. We want to fix the presentation, the package. I'm not really sure about what a Christian... In ways um, that perceive. So I'm not seeing this person say that they... Clothes style is. What is Christian? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and for me, I'll just say this. That as a Christian, it's not that I'm constantly pandering to other people's opinions. But if culturally, suddenly, you know, the rainbow. Let's use that as an example. If you say, I loved the rainbow long before... It's, it was associated with LGBTQ. Now, I, if I wear it like I used to, it's perceived. To me, those nuances matter, and I want to send the right message to my culture. So I'm not supposed to be a stumbling block. So what's the big deal? I just Maybe I do change my style a little bit for the glory of God. I mean, that's how I see it. It's like... When I did change my style... Yeah, like, I mean, you, you're an I, example of that. When I go shopping, I can't go alone. <laughs> You'll bring home a purple suede coat. <laughs> purple suede coat. Um, I have a new pair of glasses that are not these, that are just sitting in my office because my wife's like, no. Because they're baby blue. And I, my choice is going to almost always be something that my wife's kind of, you know. So it's also a choice, too. So I'm, we're always doing this. I mean, they laugh at Corbin. It's like, you don't own anything that's not Harley. I was like, I have two shirts that are in there. Um, it's a persona, if you will. We're actually, with how we do our hair, with how we, everything, every part of who we are. Again, I think it's a later conversation. It's not well, if they're, if they're not living the lifestyle and they're just feeling judged that they almost look like they're living the lifestyle i would say is it worth sticking your heels in the ground and saying but this is my identity and wearing these clothes well that's a lot like saying this is my identity that i'm gay i mean our identity is in him and he says take up your cross and follow me so maybe there's a balance there like we don't have to all of a sudden go to some extreme wardrobe change but just again walking that out with jesus walking that out with Jesus. Maybe we need to dress more modestly. Maybe, we, you know, there's other areas this could take on. But I, I think in the long run, you would reap more peace. We would reap more peace honoring others than <coughs> demanding that they honor me. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm struggling with this one because my little rebellious side is kind of like, mm. And, and here's the thing, I'm like running through all the things of like what could the LGBT perceived look look like, you know? And a part of me, I'm like, it, it's like, that's just, I, I, I wrestle with that because it's like I showed up in masculine ways. And it stinks to have to say to someone like, you need to put makeup on in order to this, or you need to, and so I'm really kind of in the gray on this where I'm with you in the sense of, understanding how you're perceived this person asked does it hurt my witness like your witness to Christ is what I'm imagining and I think you know my pastor says you don't need permission to have a conviction and in this I'm kind of sensing like this is where this is where I would go to prayer in it I really would and be like you know Lord is there anything that you want to highlight to me about what I'm wearing or how I'm showing up in these circles that you want to talk to me about yeah right and and from there it kind of moving forward, right? I, I don't know if that's helpful or not, but I, I just don't think it's a black and white answer. Um, yeah, there's a worship leader, um, 
Christian worship leader who shaved her head. You might not even know who it is, but just and started dressing in a way that if you just saw her, you would think she's transgender. You would think that. And that's between her and the Lord. Is she causing kids to see her and say, oh, I can be transgender and be a Christian? Or is it more about transgenders can identify with me now? Like, I don't know her angle. It's between her and the Lord. But I guarantee you, if we really surrender that, he will meet us in that. He will meet us in that place. And if the yeah, change needs to happen, we want it to be um, them choosing to, not us. And for, or, it's, it's almost like a battle I wouldn't almost pick because I want their heart. And I think a lot of times we battle with kids and teens to get their homework done. And we're missing their heart. Yeah. And so we, yeah. we yes, it's homework stupid. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> But it's so due tomorrow. It's, yeah, it's due tomorrow. <laughs> so it's like, I agree. But that's not, it's why it's a sign you need to have a choice. Yeah. You need to have a choice on, that's a difference. So having yeah. that, I don't want that battle in their heart. Yeah. Was this helpful? Yeah? I got some good nods. Okay, uh, we're going to take a 15 minute break. Thank you, both of you, so much. This is amazing. We'll have some good questions. Challenging. Thank you for tuning in to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. It has been an honor to serve. If you are struggling, have questions, or in need, Dr. Gilbert offers a free consultation for new clients. Check us out at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages transformed, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Healing Lives Center offers online courses, programs, books, intensives, and other services to help you live biblically and well. Discover more resources on YouTube and in Dr. Gilbert's Healing Marriage Facebook group, The Healing Marriage.